Authorized is on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash authorized pod if you want to support us. For $3 a month, you can help us buy these books. For $6 a month, we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast. And for even more money, you can demand that we read and discuss a certain novelization. Pretty cool. If we get enough listeners, we will start putting out bonus episodes, so tell your friends. Authorized.com. It's not authorized.com. What? Patreon.com slash authorized pod. Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we majestically discuss the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Novelizations are empathetic interpretations of a film whose paper-thin characters barely read as human on screen. One of them, in fact, isn't human at all, and where the film treats this villain like a hollow automaton, novelizations explore and sympathize with her disorienting, terrifying predicament. With utmost empathy, these books use the allegory of an alien-human hybrid to explore how all of us follow urges and drives we do not understand, navigating a life we did not ask for but feel compelled to protect. Speaking of empathy, novelizations also contain the single best character in the history of fiction, a professional empath named Dan Smithson. Less an actual empath than he is a D-grade superhero whose power is getting hit in his feels. Dan brings more happiness to me, Andrew Overby, than any familial or romantic connection ever has. But we'll get to him. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. My name, once again, is Andrew Overby. I'm Johnny Pomato. I'm Andrew Marco. And I'm Hannah Blackman. Species is a 1995 science fiction horror film directed by Roger Donaldson. The film centers on Syl, an alien-human amalgam constructed from a DNA sequence mailed to Earth by unseen extraterrestrials. When Syl's creator, father figure, literal father, not super clear, Xavier Fitch decides that Syl is too dangerous to be kept alive, he decides to kill her, at which point she escapes because she's pretty strong and tough and cool. Now out in the world, Syl is possessed by normal animal-human needs magnified to an obscene degree because she's an alien. She finds that she must eat, grow, and procreate at all costs, including like a bunch of murders, Andrew. So, <laughs> Hey, it's coming up. <laughs> uh, as the only one of her kind, the entire future of her species rests on her shoulders. And also the book kind of implies that she's here to exterminate us. So keep that in mind, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Yes. The problem is that she murders and stuff, right? Like, it's bad. Um, But otherwise, she does seem nice and cool and pretty, and it's good that she gets what she wants, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) The novelization of Species was written by Yvonne Navarro, based on the screenplay by Dennis Feldman. It was published by Bantam Books in July of 1995. Who is Yvonne Navarro? Yvonne Navarro is a fantasy author best known for her novels After Age and Dead Rush, 
as well as her numerous Buffy the Vampire Slayer tie-in novels. Growing up in Chicago, Illinois, Navarro was an artistically-minded child, specifically enamored with hand-drawing models she would see in advertisements and fashion magazines. Due to an unspecified youthful indiscretion, Navarro was transferred out of her artistically-minded high school into one with far less opportunity for creativity. After many years of not pursuing the arts at all, Navarro began writing at her mother's encouragement. She slowly but steadily published work until deciding to become a full-time writer in 1995. Her first novelization, Species, followed shortly, and she would soon go on to write the novelizations of Electra, Ultraviolet, and Hellboy, which, what a niche to have cut in the novelizations world. That is all very much of a piece. Navarro currently lives in Arizona with her husband. Her Twitter bio reads, I write, I draw, and I paint. I love Great Danes and dogs in general. I have various bionic body parts and live in the desert. My water is white Zinfandel. Her website encourages fans to send her boxes of chocolate, which I fully intend to do while asking her to come on authorized. She also wrote the novelization of Species 2, so if you're listening, Yvonne, it is not too late. Our guest today, a staff writer for The Atlantic, as well as the host of Blank Check with Griffin and David, David Sims, how are you doing? I'm good. Hey, guys. Hey. Species. <laughs> Species. You guys happy I, sp- I picked this? Or yeah. Mad? You guys oh, are happy? So th- so oh, yeah. thrilled. I, I was a little worried personally with, with these movies that are kind of like forgotten. Sometimes the novelization is very rote, and this mm-hmm. is not rote. Well, I was presented with a list, I think, right, of, you know, here's some options. And I think I personally set myself a challenge where I was like, well, what could be the filthiest novelist? I was trying to, like, you know, I was trying to, like, look through these movies to see, like, oh, what's like a. Uh, just because that's something I'd wondered about of, like, oh, are these things, like, allowed to be, you know, how how you know sort of adult can a movie an official movie tie-in novelization get so i pick species not thinking like oh that book would have the weird challenge of writing from the perspective of a character who you know operates silently <laughs> in the movie <laughs> like i don't think i was thinking like that's actually going to be a somewhat rich you know text in term anyway so anyway so i found myself surprised like early on I mean, I, we we can talk. You I, you guys do well, your thing, but like, there's, no, there's no. plenty to talk about. This, right? This is our thing. We've basically gone through every part of the episode that involves structure. So, <laughs> um, David, what if anything was your relationship to the art form of the movie novelization? Did you read them as a kid? Is this the first one you've ever picked up? I think I had a few as a kid. I do not. I and now I'm like trying to remember specifics, like. It was certainly not something I uh, consumed a ton of, but I do feel like I must have had a couple random ones, and I had like sort of TV spinoff books or stuff like that. But no, I this is certainly the first movie novelization I have read in my memory. Yes. I mean, the last time that happened would have probably been pre-10 years old, I would think. And I don't mean that as an insult. It's just a genre... I had sort of forgotten about. It. I mean, I guess I read Quentin Tarantino's book. Does that count? Yeah, Definitely. I guess that that does count, right? Like that was written as an homage, and but it's it's part of this this story genre. So I read that uh, <laughs> on a hammock last year. I read that in like over like f- over four days on a hammock. It's a long book. 
I mean, <laughs> in a good way. I like that. Uh, we're talking about once a time, once upon a time in Hollywood, obviously. Right. What was your opinion on that book? We we read that for an episode maybe a year ago. I mean, I loved that book. I don't know how you guys felt about it from the perspective of this genre because obviously it's it was so so far removed from the movie <laughs> that like but i appreciated that because i was like well i don't need a re- recap of the movie like that's fine i i much preferred just him going on little but it you know eddies into his characters and, and and giving you like different perspectives on the action you'd already seen but but like it it almost felt like a cutting room floor thing that book right like him being like yeah here's some stuff i didn't get in there right i don't know what did you guys think did you guys love yeah we or decided hate that it book? was basically not a novelization actually it's sort of just like an additional text that lives in the world of the movie which is fun yeah. and cool but not a novelization actually i mean it had like no sharon tate in it basically very <laughs> no. like that's right i remember that and it's mostly like him yeah, uh, the Brad Pitt listing movies and stuff, which was fine. I like that. I was I was into it. <laughs> yeah, I still don't agree with the interpretation that Cliff Booth is a cinephile, but that's that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's, that book yeah, basically right. rent us in half. Like <laughs> half of the hosts were like, "That was fun." I could see that book being seismic for this podcast. That does make sense. Yes. Like that, that that book does seem like a, a real gauntlet thrown at this podcast. <laughs> Right. I don't even remember what side I fell on at this point. It was so long ago. I, I, we've, maybe you know, I we've healed. It. We've come back together. That's what matters. What's I think the- I was the only one who said it was good, ultimately. <laughs> wow. Come on, Hannah. Come on, you, you it's know. fine. I just didn't enjoy it. It really just challenges what the definition of a novelization is, and I think that's why it threw us into such turmoil. Right. Is because uh, Hannah, you were basically being like, "I like it," but like, you're at, this is like asking me if I liked my dinner. It's not a novelization. <laughs> yeah, and it made a couple, as you say, like character choices that I was like, "Oh, this puts the whole movie in a different color that now I like less." That's all. That's um, all right. What? What? If I were to like, I mean, maybe this is too big a question for you guys, but like, you know, if I was like, I should, I sort of enjoyed reading Species by Yvonne Navarro. Like, I want to read another authorized novelization from you know whatever period in time like what is the gold standard like what 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 are movie novelizations that i should like run to ebay to collect or whatever is this too big a question if it is you can just shut me up no i've got them all ranked but hannah why don't you why don't you give your opinion let's go around what does everybody think the best book we've read for the podcast is well i I think the best book we've read is the novelization of revenge of the sith which is just like extraordinary as a book and as a companion to that film and then very recently, we read the novelization of Cowboys and Aliens, which I think is the closest to the experience of reading okay. Species. We're like, see, wait this a is second. Number one on Andrew's list, Cowboys and Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, so we- that movie's not good. And the no. novelization is so good that it's like sort of a, a, a great example of what a novelization can be. And it's a fun read. So that's I where would I pause stand. it. I would posit that uh, Willow was was probably my was favorite. Uh, Willow another is one, awesome. Yeah, that was so much better than the movie that you know you, makes you go like, oh, well, if they had filmed this, then we you know would have been a, a modern classic. But yeah. well, you bloodshot high, so they still do these. <laughs> like not as still, often, not as often. But, they but do. bloodshot was just a couple. Yeah, that's fascinating. Willow is a movie that I could see being almost better as a book. No offense to Willow, which is a movie I have complicated feelings about. Um, but like, it's it's kind of an annoying movie. I don't know. Is that again? Am I am I? Is that a hot? There's no. 
yeah, in print form, there's no Kevin Pollock, so you know it's uh, it's all the better. Right. Yeah, the, I just remember putting that movie on, and it's like it's a lot of like a baby screaming while people <laughs> argue about what to do, and you're sort of like, can we get to Val Kilmer or something? Like, can we get to things happening? And, uh, but uh, but yeah, I just imagine right that 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 it's a fertile world to explore at least Ooh, the batman forever you have high maybe i should read that that's a that's a favorite movie of mine it's a pretty good book the thing about willow is that uh it's not for me about the baby which is super annoying it's about the brownies the tiny little fairy people (laughs) they're so grating they're They're a little grating yes and in a book form you can be like these are majestic creatures (laughs) But not on screen. Uh, David, what is your relationship, if anything, to Species? Had had you seen okay. it before? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I think I, I had seen it before. So my relationship to this movie is, I'm, let's see, I'm, I think, around nine years old when it came out. And it was one of those classic VHS, like, at the video, like, at the rental store those tapes where you're like, this is the most, this must be the most depraved movie ever made. Like when I was 10 years old, (laughs) I would just be like, you know, in, uh, you know, it's, I guess I just had clocked like this movie dares to be both a horror movie and like an alien movie and a sexy movie. It's the most extreme movie ever made. It's, you know, must be completely insane. And then I think I was a little older when species two came out. Well, obviously I was a little older, and by that point, I I almost made, I didn't see it in theaters though. But I, you know, I was sort of like vaguely aware that the, the species series was probably not the most extreme series ever made. Um, and then I think I finally watched Species on TV when I was a teenager, and was like, oh, like Ben Kingsley is in this. <laughs> like, you know, I had this sort of <laughs> realization of like, oh, this seems to be almost like you know faux classy or what at least at least it is like basically a major hollywood production not like a snuff film like with aliens or whatever i must have i think i was just very scared of this movie when i was a little kid because it seemed so insane i watched it many years ago on tv i think probably not to be gross but like as a teenager hoping to watch like a really sexy movie and i think i was disappointed because species is kind of not you know it's uh, you know it's that's it's not really it's not body heat it's not like a movie with like Mm -hmm. really like involving tense sensual stuff uh it's it's we'll talk about it um and i've never seen species 2 i kind of want to watch species 2 now is species 2 bad species 2 is very bad right i think johnny hannah and i watched it recently all separately and uh it's 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 insane it's an insane Hannah's, movie Hannah's i kind of like it more a, i kind of liked it it's everything's ramped up to like 15 it's has more sex it has more gore it has more alien nonsense <sighs> that's that's actually a good sell because this movie i had a really good time with it sex and gore like i almost was sort of surprised at how tame the film is again <laughs> yeah. maybe weighed against my expectations right <laughs> Species well, well, 2 is like less like Skinamax sci-fi and it, it like fully goes like softcore body horror. And, uh, you know, you actually have like babies bursting out of pregnant bellies and stuff like that. And it's it's all yeah. gooey and yeah, it's kind of fun. I yeah. liked it. I mean, the premise of Species 2 is what if the alien was a boy this time and did oh. nasty boy stuff? Oh, um, okay. Which is an well, doesn't it bring twist. back the whole cast who's Most, alive? Mostly, yeah, except for yep. Forrest Whitaker. So I Madsen's guess it's just having back. a peaceful time. Helgenberger is back. Mm-hmm. 
I, is everyone else but Whitaker dead? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. But in a war crime of a writing choice, Helgenberger and Madsen are not romantically entwined anymore. Whereas <laughs> really? Speci- yes. Whereas Species One made me again believe in true love. <laughs> it's so- I think at the end they're about to have like, hey, we killed another alien sex, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure. The, the miscalculation, we'll, we'll stop talking about Species 2 in a second, but the miscalculation of Species 2, I think, is that it is a guy. And for oh, well, some so reason... Okay. Well, for, for some reason, he, he's an astronaut, so people want to sleep with him. And mm-hmm. so the writers keep, though, turning his consensual sexual encounters into things that become pretty not consensual, which is not necessary with the premise. Because you can just have him have sex with someone, and then later they're like, "Oh no, I think I'm pregnant with a species." So yeah, I mean, there are a couple of points where I'm like, "This is the most famous man in America, and he's able to get away with this kind of behavior in public." Like they kind of forget that he's the most famous astronaut who's ever lived. But like, I don't know the concept of like, what if a guy though, so he can impregnate like so many women? Yeah, yeah, is I think a fun concept, including as sisters. Right, as opposed to Species 1, where she's just one lady trying to have one baby. Well, I am looking up this actor playing the hot astronaut. I have never heard of him. This just Never went anywhere. Thing. Really handsome, though. Sure. He has Super a handsome. Face. Believable <laughs> astronaut celebrity. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, kind of a run of astronaut. There's the astronaut's wife in the 90s. Astronaut horror. Oh, they went up and something something no good happened. And That's very much the same there. Right. But yeah, so my relationship with species is as I described, and then I re I did rewatch it in anticipation of this episode, and I thought it was okay. <laughs> I thought it was bad, honestly. I was really because, like, at this point, I am such a slut for any kind of '90s movie with some sets and some character actors, you know, and you're firing it up and the castless is running and you're like right Forrest Whitaker March Helga this is going to be great Alfred Molina's in this and then it's just not quite I don't know it's it it, it just I I it is real sort of four out of ten experience for me and I felt a little a little short short shrifted by it but whatever it's fine do you guys like species Hannah you give it three stars I mean, I expected it to be like a one and a half star movie. Yeah. So I was really pleasantly surprised by how like capable it is. It's like a, a pretty okay little thriller. I don't think I am like obsessed with it. No. But I did immediately watch Species 2. So I don't know. Liked it enough. Yeah. Now I'm going to watch Species 2. The only reason you I really ought to. Time, I will. Should I watch Species 3 or no? That's a direct. No. Johnny, why don't you step in? Johnny watched <laughs> the whole series for this episode. Uh, I do not recommend Species 3 or Species The Awakening. Uh, <laughs> both were made for cable, and it, they, they both feel like extended episodes of like the uh, 90s reboot of The Outer Limits. Uh, sure. They amp up the sex, the, they lower the production values. Uh, good for Natasha Henstrich does come back in Species 3 just long enough to die again. Like, you mm-hmm. know, real good mm-hmm. sport. Uh, but uh, yeah, they they just feel like two part episodes of a, a backdoor pilot uh, it, to the point that like an hour into Species Three, there's like a new villain that comes out of nowhere. It's like oh, it's like you know villain of the week. Except it, we're, we're just halfway through this movie, and uh, yeah, I don't know, no good, no good. I think um, Species One really loses steam about halfway through. It does. I think halfway. That's, 
Yeah, like I'm actually pretty excited by it through the first kill, and then it really starts dragging its feet. Whereas Species Two, which is in many ways worse and has like no core ensemble, uh, is just nonstop insanity, which at least is energetic. You know, they took the feedback. I think. Mm-hmm. For better or worse. They listened and said, like, okay, more sex, less talking. Gotcha. I was rather amazed uh, in my, uh, to be reminded, because I hadn't seen Species since I was a horny teenager, and it was a very different experience watching it as a horny adult, uh, that, like, I think the first act is really good. Like, it, I I like the opening. I think it's uh, kind of... Uh, I. Completely forgotten that it just starts with a bunch of scientists about to euthanize a child uh, with no explanation uh, or anything at all. It's like, what? why are they doing this? And it's like, you know, we've all seen the TV ads and stuff, so we know why. But uh, I, I think it's kind of cool that they just drop this in uh, completely out of context and then you get the exposition later. And I think that the whole opening with Michelle Williams on the run, uh, like, you know, jumping into boxcars and, and learning about human interaction, uh, like, oh, this is how money works and stuff like that is all really good uh almost up until she turns into into natasha henstridge and then she's just uh, a, a villainous alien um who uh you know goes and mates and and or tries to mate like you know has like curb your enthusiasm mating like just cannot <laughs> cannot get it in uh but uh yeah i i do think that it starts strong and uh, at first i thought oh this is way better than i remember and then it became just as mediocre as i remembered i mean in our conversation of like is sill sympathetic is she in a bad situation i'm on her side up until she kills i guess the the first guy like even when she kills the lady in the bathroom i'm like okay well you don't understand what you're doing um and after that she's just like happy to do murders and that's when i lose it Uh, and by the end i'm like please kill this awful monster girl (laughs) isn't the first guy the uh diabetic diabetic yeah but I feel like they're, they're making it justified in that he's sort of becomes a bit of a creepy predator himself and like doesn't want to let her go. Yeah, he I mean, gets for a sure. I'm aggressive. not saying it's not yes. justified, whatever she tongues through his head. Um, <laughs> I think that one's later. I can't remember. No, I think that's him. No, that's that, him? that one. Is that him? Okay. I couldn't remember. She's really her one move. Should we more or less tackle this chronologically? Because there's so sure. much stuff that Yvonne ads at the beginning of this book so the movie as you say just starts throws us in and says okay uh let me get you up to speed there's an alien human hybrid and it's because we sent information into space and then we did we made her and then we decided to kill her it's like what sorry and the book goes maybe too far in saying let me give you context for every single part of that To the point where there's a passage where we see them send the information into space and a different one where we see them receive a response. With a lot of character development for characters who don't exist and are not real. I mean, she is describing the contents of characters' lunchboxes. Like, like, oh, and he, he had a thermos full of menudo for lunch. And I'm like, what, what is going on? Oh, my God. Like, she was really making a meal out of this book. Uh, you know, we've all read the, the Die Another Days that are just like, okay, let me, like, transpose the dialogue and then add a few descriptive passages in between. No, she is, like, writing a book here, uh, going way above and beyond what the movie gave her to do. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think it lasts i I think you can feel her getting impatient towards the end like okay let me just like get to the finish line here 
Yeah, my yes. bookmarks really fall off as the book goes on. Ooh, you guys have bookmarks. That's cool. I mean, I yeah, I fold down pages, but um, I mean, there is. <laughs> I, I had I didn't watch the movie first. I read the book first, and I was so ready for all of these computer scientists to come back. They introduce Kyle, the guy who dies when Syl escapes, and I was like, that guy's going to be one of the guys, right? Yeah. Like she gives so much information on characters that, having not seen the movie, I was like, well, certainly all of these people are important, and this is a big ensemble, or one of these computer scientists is certainly. Mark Helgenberger, nope, definitely not. <laughs> yes, I did struggle with the names. Do you guys wish novelizations just said actors' names? Uh, completely. <laughs> <it's> come up. <laughs> it no, hurt. it's not come up. I love that. Uh, she, like, right, it's like Mark Helgenberger walked in and she had blonde, you know, shoulder-length hair, and you're like, great, yeah, no, I know, I know. <laughs> this guy, guy leaned over and he's like, my name's uh, Forrest Whitaker. I'm an empath. <laughs> I couldn't figure out who Alfred Molina was playing for, like, half the book couldn't yeah. determine which character he was until dan would do something empathic i was like wait which one is forrest whitaker and which one is alfred molina and then like you know uh, what smith and dan uh, i mean come on uh yeah i uh i i, I was having a lot of trouble there uh fortunately i you know everyone uh, uh knows uh, uh, uh old michael madsen but yeah i think the book makes a strong choice to, to say i really care about this couple of Marge Helgenberger and Michael Madsen, and I do not care about the other members <laughs> of the ensemble. Because in the movie, it's like a five-hander. There's all these yes. characters. They're basically of equal importance. In the book, it's like Press Lennox did this, and and uh, what's her name? Marge. Laura. Laura, Laura did this. And it that what the things that the two of them did turned each other on. It's like all about their relationship. And then every once in a while, Dan will come through and be like, that person over there is sad. <laughs> um jumping back to page like really early on page three of this book oh my goodness there is this passage where they send the message off into space they're sending a message that i'm assuming this is a real thing that happened that's like the premise of species which is that we sent information yeah. into space about who humans are the the arecibo message right that's cool that's yeah the thing. that's a real thing that's you yeah. can see it it's like this crazy it looks like uh you know a little bitly bit bitmap thing you can see it. it's cool it's cool is it Check different it than Google the it. carl sagan vinyl thing yeah it's that's different. the voyager 2 thing that from was on Star voyager Trek. right yeah yeah, yeah. gotcha um, it's it, we 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 blast it into space from the arecibo t- telescope in the 70s i guess on some like low frequency so it could like hit as many stars as possible. I don't know. It's like, hmm. We were always doing shit back then, being like, hey! <laughs> right? Like, that was so, yeah. We're lonely. Arecibo, Arecibo is the thing from Goldeneye, yes. right? Yes. When they showed yes. it in the movie, I was like, oh, it's Goldeneye. It's well, Goldeneye. this is the same year as Goldeneye. It was really having its day in the sun. <laughs> On page three, the two men <laughs> send the very real, and I always knew it was real, Arecibo <laughs> message into space. And the passage says... The two men were not close. One, a family man with a boy flunking out of high school and a girl doing well in college, thought about how his wife wanted another baby and worried whether the transmission instructions were programmed properly, although he knew the programmer, Bernard Jackson, had done a perfect job. The keyboard operator thought the whole idea was cool, but didn't believe for a moment that anything would ever hear it. He didn't want to be sending messages into the empty reaches of the universe. He wanted to be sending satellites to explore the closer planets. As he sat at the keyboard and kept a close eye on the readouts from the computer, 
tracking the program output, he decided he would reevaluate his major and make sure his education was aimed in the right direction. While the town of Arecibo went about its daily living, the message of human life began its journey into space. Are either of these characters, the the the, the boss who seems like a bummer, or the guy who gets all of this interiority, Fitch? No. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say, pace yourself, Yvonne. Just like uh, you have 274 <laughs> pages left. I mean, oh, gosh, she, yeah. she, she, she really uh, uh, was trying to do something early on. Yvonne has real, I just decided to be a full-time writer vibes in Species. <laughs> She's like, I want to make this the best, most lived-in book possible. Does she lend that same sort of backstory to all of the LA people we meet throughout this book? I mean, we do get full little chapters introducing Steven and Laura that we don't get in the movie. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) Is is Press's cat in the book? Yes. You betcha. Okay. And it waves goodbye to him and he hates it. So that's a detail. He hates it. One of the best passages in the book is him being like, I'm, I'm leaving my cat with the neighbor. She's going to do the thing. She's going to do the thing. And I kept being like, is she going to kiss him? What does she do that he hates? And then it's just that she makes his cat wave. That, that is obnoxious. When you first said that, I thought you meant the cat actually. like. Oh, no, sorry. Goodbye. She like, takes meow, a little meow. paw and makes it wave. So is there a possibility this was like cut? You know, there was some sort of prologue of us getting the message that they, you know, were like, all right, forget it. We'll just cut. Because the movie does start abruptly. And ends so abruptly. Right. Like, the movie is just kind of like, there's a girl in a lab. And you're like, is that? Wait a second. (laughs) Because who plays the young girl? It's Michelle Williams, right? Mm -hmm. And you're just going like, wait, is that Michelle Williams? I mean, I I guess you weren't in 1995. But now I was was like, shit, that's Michelle Williams. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, it, I I sensed that the uh, our, our little opening prologue in the novel that was probably a title card at least that was omitted and uh, and then yeah I do think that the the one scientist who's nice to uh, little young Sill who gets killed that had to be a deleted scene that's like way too detailed and also like you know much better than anything we actually get in that sequence in the movie so uh, yeah I I like that yeah but that might have been longer. Just a quick glance says that YouTube is only showing deleted scenes where Syl is an adult. So they could mm. exist, but they're not they're not out there in that way. Um, speaking of the Syl child, Michelle Williams is emoting as Syl and giving <laughs> a performance of confusion and, and disorientation. And then when we switch over to the Natasha Henstridge Syl, that is gone. <laughs> I mean, Natasha Henstridge was mostly a model, is my understanding. Yeah, this is her first movie role, yeah. I want to say, right? Yes. And I she think she's actually, actually perfectly good. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and she kind of turned into an okay actor, I feel like. like, Or she, she's had a run. She's been on lots of stuff. She's had a whole career. Yeah. She's almost on Lost. You guys remember that? Oh, no. She was, she was the runner-up to play Juliet. Like it was between wow. her and Elizabeth Mitchell. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's that's really nerdy that I know that, but I was very <laughs> into Lost. Um, but yeah, yeah, that would have been that that might have been like a whole revival for her. 
I wouldn't even say that her performance in this is bad. I just think she's making a different choice than Michelle Williams. Which well, she is... goes into a cocoon, Andrew, and she emerges <laughs> a different person. So keep okay. that in mind. All right. You know, the cocoon teaches her things. She eats a woman's face. She does watch TV. Maybe she learns a lot there. Yeah, yeah. Tele- like I think you can Television. sort of trace back every bit of behavior that she has throughout the movie to those commercials that she watches, or, or and, well, and the pornography, of course. But uh, yeah, all of her little lessons about dyeing her hair and uh, what dresses to wear. That's why she goes out and buys a bridesmaid dress. Because like, oh, that's what women dress like. Uh, yeah, I, I do kind of love that sequence. I wish that they really... Uh, uh, made more of a, a, a thing about that, like really drawing from each of those little commercials that we see her watch. Mm-hmm. And the, the the novelization implies magazines as well, right? She's been reading magazines to yeah. to learn how to be sexy in the right way, how to find a mate. It's a bit of satire. I don't know. That's how I took it. Mm-hmm. Where yeah, does she is- lift the line? It's not too soon for us to be together that she delivers in the hot tub because it seems so intentionally stilted that it feels like she would have seen it on TV or something. It does sound like a days of our lives type. uh, Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those missing pieces. We're like, I have to assume she picked that out of TV or, or one of the pornography she watches. Um, And he's, it's presented in a way where we're like, okay, well, that's not natural to her. As opposed to when she's like, I want a baby. It feels pretty natural to her genuine <laughs> yeah. expression of emotion. Yeah. It is nice that the book offers us her point of view, uh, you know, at least for a while. Uh, we're, we're sort of getting her inner monologue. We're getting what she's thinking. Because, you know, uh, you know as, as uh, fine a job as Natasha Hentridge does, she, uh, she you know, we, we just sort of have that expression on her face. And we see her taking things in, but we don't hear what she's thinking. And uh, to go through her process a bit more. And, yeah, it does make her a little more sympathetic in that she, uh, you, you, you sense that she's more conflicted or you actually like hear her be more conflicted rather than uh you know just deciding to kill a rip the spine out of a lady in a bathroom and such while we're with kids still at the beginning here let's talk about fitch xavier fitch played by ben kingsley it also feels like something crucial is missing from the movie involving his character because he is this sort of overbearing father figure to Syl, and then starts acting very strange late in the movie, and then just dies. D- strange to the point where I was like, is he possessed by Syl somehow? What Did anyone else pick up on that? Like, his performance takes a turn in maybe the last 30 minutes. That just baffled me. I would say even earlier, though, because I feel in the sequence where they're in, like, the clean room... Mm-hmm. And he's like all focused on protocol. Like it feels like that's like a sudden characterization that doesn't feel as present before that he's very concerned about protocol. I, and like that's why he can't let them out. Well, I think his whole motivation throughout the movie is like, oh, I screwed up. I am so going to get fired for this. I have to hire some government agents and a weird psychic empath to like clean up, clean up my mess. Um, so, I mean, there's a little of that. Yeah, the whole like, oh, sorry, I can't let you. I, I should have told you before that I'm going to torch this room if any of you screw up. Uh, but like, sorry, I just cannot press the door open button just in case this thing gets out. Uh, but I also think that Ben Kingsley is just 
giving as much as he was willing to give. I mean, this was the first time ever that I remembered seeing Ben Kingsley in a movie and thinking, oh, he'll do your movie if you give him money. He's he's just uh, for sale. Uh, I mean, this is two years after Schindler's List, something like that. It's... uh, uh, the, this guy's coming off a string of Oscar nominations, and uh, and yeah, suddenly he's he's chasing down the alien with Michael Madsen. Uh, Even though his his co-stars are all pretty capable, mm-hmm. it's not like he's the only good actor in this movie. This is a a cast of all sorts of talent. Absolutely, yes, but he is like the... you say, he's kind of at a height. I guess Gandhi is the big height, but yeah, no, go ahead, Hannah. Sorry, Hannah, I was just gonna say, I think we learn way too late in the story that he is Sill's biological father. That, like, he donated his DNA to make her, which feels, like, so important to his whole journey of, like, do I want to kill her? What do I want to do? I want to take her alive. I don't want to take her alive. And then, like, in the last maybe 20 pages of the book, they say, as if we knew it the whole time, well, he shared his DNA for this. So, obviously, that's something we should take into consideration. And it feels way too late. And I can't imagine what it's like as an actor to be like, should I be playing that? Are we? Is that going to end up in the movie? Is she my daughter? <laughs> Seems a tough line to tread, especially for a character who's mostly just a, like, hard ass. This was very big in the 90s, too. There were so many scandals, I feel, like, of, uh, you know, fertility doctors who are like, oh, I just assumed all of my patients wanted my baby. And, you know, (laughs) they were constantly getting busted. There were so many movies of the week and and such. Uh, So, yeah, I wonder if that was at all in uh, response to that trend. Hmm. It still happens, I think. I would not be surprised if Yvonne Navarro's interiority for Xavier Fitch was invented whole cloth because it really feels like everything that she adds in the book doesn't quite fit together, as you say, Hannah. Like, the um, the reveal of him being her biological father, it's like, if that was really what's going on, why weren't there seeds of it earlier? And similarly... On page 19, after the escape, he's like, uh, and Kyle, of course, lying in the staircase and staring up at him with dead, accusing eyes. Fitch had sent his most competent lab assistant down there out of nothing more than annoyance, and now the man was dead. Fitch shook his head. Foolish, foolish. Which is, in my opinion, totally out of step with the character as we know him. Because it's this moment of him going, you know, I actually made a a mistake and I was being arrogant. I was being rash. But even within the book, it's inconsistent because later on, he's going to send them in and then try to burn them alive in that room. It's like it it, it seems like Navarro's trying to give him uh, some humanity that just isn't earned by the story at all. I agree. I mean, he's in the movie particularly, he's very cold. I mean, the first scene, he sort of maybe has tears in his eyes when he's going to kill her. And after that, ice cold, arrogant, decides that he knows how to handle it best when he clearly doesn't. And press has to step in over and over again. Uh, And then his arrogance and hubris kills him. Like that feels like a pretty clean arc for not the lead character of the movie. And I mean, in the first 50 pages of the book, maybe he's the lead character, aside from Cell. And then it it has to turn the corner in the way that the movie doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, the, the book really forefronts him to the point where when the ensemble shows up, it's like, oh, new characters? <laughs> I'm so far into this book. Whereas in the film, it's like, 
you know, they show up whatever fifteen fast. minutes in. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just think I think you're right that Kingsley just lost interest in this movie halfway through, which is probably not true because movies are not shot sequentially. But that's just right. sort of how it feels. Like that he has his big moment later where he won't let them out of the lab. And then after that, I just feel like he's like, all right, I had my big scene. Who cares? I don't know. And the you character guys, sort of slips into the background, too. He does. So I don't blame him for being like, I don't need to put full effort into standing around. I Grant. While we're right. talking about careers, do, do do we have do any of us have strong feelings about Roger Donaldson as a director? What else did he do? Yeah, I'm not he did super familiar. He, with him. He's a real journeyman guy. Like a, he did a cocktail. He did, which I think oh. there's like a straight line between rules. species and cocktail. <laughs> uh, but he also did the best movie ever made, No Way Out, which. I am pretty obsessed with it. Have you guys seen No Way Out? I don't think so. Oh, it's it's one of those films that has a complete plot. And then at the end, it just goes, and here's one more crazy development, just because I feel like blowing your mind. I When I watched it alone on my couch a year ago, I was clapping <laughs> in the final uh, moments. No Way Out okay. does rule. I do want to shout out Smash Palace. He's actually a New Zealand guy, or maybe he's, he's from Australia, but worked in New Zealand. He made this movie called Smash Palace. That's mm-hmm. like a New Zealand classic that is really good. And that was the movie that like launched him over to America. But then I feel yeah. like in America he mostly made, you know, kind of fun trash. Yeah. I mean Dante's Peak, 13 Days, The Recruit. These are good movies. There was something that was okay. really bothering me in the book. Uh, there's a reference to uh, when they have the Polaroid, it's like, oh, zoom in, zoom in. And someone says, oh, well, I saw a Kevin Costner movie where they were able to get his whole face just by a photo of the back of his head. And it was driving me mad, like, which Kevin Costner movie is this? And is it No Way Out? Is that it the is. answer? Is it? A- oh, <laughs> there's a guy. I was in, losing my mind. There's a guy in No Way Out that is trying to enhance this Kevin Costner photo but kevin costner's his buddy and he walks into the beginning of the movie and he's like can you do this really shitty please because i'm gonna get in trouble if you enhance that too quickly and he's like yeah for sure (laughs) so it's an easter egg fun yeah i I kept thinking it's not fandango it's too early to be mr brooks but that would line up but okay oh god that is a huge weight lifted off me (laughs) because uh I, i was so distracted for pages going like oh god which kevin costner movie is it so I have a question that's more on the movie, but what does everyone think of the H.R. Giger of it all? Yuck. Because... <laughs> I may say yuck. yuck. Yeah. It, well, it's interesting because obviously Alien is sort of such perfection in terms of the alien and the life cycle and the design and everything that this sort of feels low-rent alien. And I was shocked when I saw his credit because it just doesn't seem... It seems like he wouldn't want to do it because it's just basically the same thing. Mm, they I paid mean, him. she's kind of shaped like a xenomorph with crazy ass boobs and a human face. I grant, like bo- for sure. The boobs don't work. I feel like they needed <laughs> no. more work. Like they needed, like I don't know. They, it, it, the whole thing feels lazy. Uh, he is involved, right, Giger? Right? He actually did. He like, but like, if I again. I'm completely making this up. I have no idea how much work he really did, but it kind of feels like he just sort of like took a napkin and was like, eh, all right, here you go. Sexy alien. <laughs> yeah, right? Like it just doesn't, I mean, look, I'm reading here on Wikipedia now and he'd had lots of ideas apparently, but also it seems like he didn't like the movie that much. 
He I mean, the of, suit kind is of pissy re- about it, right? The suit is really bad too. It's like maybe on concept, like okay, it sort of has these weird dreadlock things and stuff. It's like oh, okay, I, I, I could see, uh, yeah, if it, from a, a a sketch to uh, the screen, maybe something was lost in translation there. I do think it's hilarious that you know she is fully a lizard lady except the boobs, which are mostly just painted green, uh, so you can still really see her figure underneath. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's it's not a great creature design, or at least the uh, the, the, the final product didn't uh, hold up. I mean, we don't see a ton of the final alien design. It's sort of hidden. I think because it doesn't move well. Like, she doesn't look like she can move at all. Yeah, um, and it's it's tough because it's at that, you know, point where there's a lot of people in suit, but there's also a lot of CG. And it sort of doesn't all work together. Like, the CG model of the Sill alien does not look good. Do we no, know why the her CG's name is bad Syl? in general. Yeah, why is she we called Sill? We never learn that. It's a stupid name. It's not sexy or scary. Mm-hmm. So what the hell? And it's not like later they reveal that right. Fitch St- had a daughter named for... Sylvia who died. And so he no, named but... his new... Like, they just don't do that. It should stand for, like, sexy infiltration <laughs> lady or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, it, sh- it should be, like, some kind of acronym or that since, they came up with. Or since she's, like, a scientific experiment, it should be, like, you know, scientific in vitro lizard or, like, something, <laughs> you know? Um Going in the, the sequel, she's Eve, you know, going <laughs> biblically. And I wonder, it's like, is Syl like some sort of like biblical reference I'm not getting either? I, But no, it, it's, it does seem like it should be short for something or I don't know. It, I'm it sorry. Just, she's called Eve in the second one? Well, they yeah. They build because, her again and they call her Eve. Did yeah. you note that they uh, there are frozen embryos? Like, you know, they they uh, they say, oh, yes, we, we made one Michelle Williams and then we froze two others. So they, they had a, I, I guess it was a planned trilogy. I mean, that's. I'm going that's to the cool. species wiki to find more information. There's a so. species wiki. I guess. I guess <laughs> when, you four, when you have four, when you have four beautiful world we live in. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in the Jesus. In the second so one, it's so fun. funny that they name her Eve, given that she's demonstrably the second one, and also someone just right. calls it out. Someone goes, "Why did you make it so biblical?" And Marge Helgenberger's like, ah, "I don't know." So the nightmares, which I think Hannah you brought up, um, or Andrew, the the HR Giger nightmares in the movie, completely nonsensical. So I crack open Species by Yvonne Navarro, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what these nightmares are about. And the the nightmare passages are truly things like, there were skull trains, and they were chugga chugging at me, and I woke up and I didn't know why. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm just the train thinking, dream in the movie. You're like, okay, she's on a train. She's scared. She's being attacked. Got it. Right. The rest of the dreams are like, she's being, she's having sex with a male alien. And she's like, I don't know what this is. And I don't like it. Or maybe I like it. And the more we go along, she's like, okay, I do like it. And I want more tentacles. Like I, the dreams are okay for me. The way they're described in the book are like super dreamy in a way that is hard to follow. Some of them are like about fish. Uh, yeah, I, I like that they're italicized because otherwise I might not have known what was going on. In fact, yes. one time she's dreaming about uh, basically 
killing her hostage and i thought that i just like spaced out and we had leapt forward it's like wait is she already dead and did i miss a whole sequence um but yeah it's a it's a it's a device it's it's uh i guess uh, uh they're okay i know why her name is sill oh good oh, oh i'm ready to the, the trivia on the species films fandom wiki uh sill was named after her ovum id number S1L. Okay. Writer Dennis Feldman tried to coin an acronym out of SIL, but in the end chose only the three-letter name after learning about the codons of the genetic code, which could be representative groups of three letters. That's so vi- he wanted it to be sexy in vitro lady, probably, but he couldn't come up with that. <laughs> oh, lady is so much better than lizard. Why did I say lizard? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, that explanation is very unsatisfying because it's basically it's a nonsense word because the characters named her after a nonsense word you'd think when she became like human shaped and was like a four-year-old girl you might give her a real name right Mm -hmm. i mean it's very there's so much in the movie and the book about like well you didn't give her any love like you didn't teach her to behave properly and that's why now she's rampaging across los angeles I do and know I guess that that's my, why they didn't give her a human name. Yeah, my wife's sister uh, is a scientist, and she works with frogs. And she has explained that, like, y- you never name your your frogs because you're you're probably going to have to kill them, or or other bad things will happen to them. And yes, yeah, sure enough, it's like, yeah, you, if you know you're going to gas this uh, child two weeks into its existence, maybe you don't want to get too attached by like calling her like Jill. Yeah. Yeah. They do just know. decide to kill that little girl so hard. That's why the movie is almost <laughs> radical, where you're like, we open on the decision to murder a little girl. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, and like, I can't tell if that's clever or if they just sort of cut a boring prologue because this movie, I mean, this novelization has a boring prologue. Uh, I it think is it's kind smart of to... to throw us there. I mean, immediately I feel for Michelle Williams, who's like screaming and crying and trying not to be murdered. So I do think it's smart to like drop us into a place where like, oh, this girl is obviously the good guy. And then very quickly you're like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. She did a murder. Um, I, I mean, I like that sort of arc and transitional space. I, I also just like that the movie is sort of just willing to kill people nastily. Like they kill that little boy at the end. They're yeah. just like boy oh, yeah. alien dead. True. Um, and it's Forrest Whitaker of all people who's the empath you would think would be the least likely to kill someone. But also, as I mentioned in a, my own letterboxed review, just that poor innocent lady she abducts and like holds hostage for a day just to use her in a car crash, DNA, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> And even after the fact, when she when she dies and they just fire more missiles from the helicopter to make sure she's dead, she's just so dead. It's amazing. I like the sentiment there where the hostage says, you know, I don't have any issue with you or I, I don't have any qualm with you, basically. And Syl goes, but you would. Her Like, all she knows is that humans made her and they want to kill her. You are not they, convincing Sue otherwise. They're not to be trusted. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah, you know, she's got some points. <laughs> Given her lived experience, I think that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I keep 
kept saying to Andrew in text messages is that like the details of this book are totally different than the details of the movie. That like we get to the same place, but like how we get there is often like slightly different. And with this hostage, like in the book, Syl leaps into her car naked and is like, help me, help me. I'm under attack, basically. And this nice woman is like, of course. And then we cut to she's a hostage. Um, and in the movie, Syl leaps into her car and like punches her out real hard. Slams her face against the dashboard, all sorts of nasty stuff. Yeah. Um, and those little changes, I'm so curious if those were like, well, the script originally was one way, or if Yvonne was like, no, we need a little more softness here. We need a little more nuance here. We need a little more this or that. Because they are like noticeably different um, down to like when Marge and uh, Michael Madsen have sex. In the movie, mm-hmm. it's like very playful and cute. Um and in the book, it's like a little clinical. They're like talking about science stuff. This okay. While this is it. my. I don't want to be rude about Miss Yvonne Navarro. I keep, keep having to triple check. But yeah, I was like, why can't this be sultrier? Like often yeah. with the sexy stuff. And I guess it's partly. It seems like her interest is more like plunging into the psyche of Syl, which is fine, and is different from the movie. I would say, you know, somewhat. But uh, but yeah, I found myself really skimming over the non-Sill stuff. I don't know about you, like because this movie, the book is kind of bifurcated. We're kind of switching between like Sill people chasing Sill, and the Sill stuff is far more compelling in the book than the movie, which is probably actually true of the movie too, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it is a bummer though because the movie is such a boob delivery system, and so I was like counting on the novelization yeah. to be trashy erotica. I right. couldn't wait to get to the sex scenes, and it's like, oh, we're gonna be in the in the jacuzzi, and there's gonna be some touching and some kissing, and like you know, we're gonna be describing wet body parts, and uh, you know, they're in the hot tub, uh, and uh, and no, there's so little of that. They, they, I, I, you know, some of these uh, sexy scenes in the movie are you know a, a quarter of a page. And then we're, we're past them. Uh, so that was, I think, the most disappointing thing for me. Uh, not that I, I needed some titillation, but I, I thought like, oh, well, this will be different than like uh, Batman Forever. Right. Right. There's a passage in this book I thought was hot. <laughs> no, Go for it, Andrew. Read it. No, it's page 191 where she has a sex dream, Syl. And it, she's, where, where is it? Uh, da, 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 da. It's, yes. It starts talking about some some guy in her dream that she's going to have sex with and starts very tender she went when she cupped or when he cupped her face in his hands she liked it and then it says then they were together on his on his bed their naked forms already entwined in the act of love him on the bottom her on top and riding a crest of pleasure so powerful it shortened her breath and made her giddy his body was hard and lean charged with strength and maleness she could feel him inside her huge stroking and filling her with heat with every sensual shift of his hips. When he closed his eyes, she thought he was going to come, and she tensed with anticipation, her own blossoming orgasm making her moan. It goes on, but I have this bookmarked as softcore porn. It's the closest... But yeah. yeah, I wanted like eight of these, you know, and it's like <laughs> yeah. maybe we get a sort of half of one, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, Syl also feels this frustration where every time she gets close, she's like, all right, now we're going to get hot and heavy. She can like feel Guy's breath on her. There is like the buildup. We just never get to the well, really sexy it, stuff. It, it, but that is, it's relatable, you know, dating <laughs> in LA, you know, she wants to fuck a guy in a hot tub. I can say fuck. Is that okay? 
yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah totally <laughs> I love I love I love asking that when I'm a guest on a podcast. Um, you know, she wants to fuck a guy in a hot tub. And he's like, uh, I'm not sure if I, you know, like you know, like ah, oh, it's so annoying when you're trying to meet a man. And she like really know. knows how to pick him. She is yeah, somehow she really picking does. like the creepiest, skeeziest, like guys. Well, yeah, I mean, she's not exactly going to high society events. I guess is part of the problem. She's sort of yeah. skimming along the clubs or whatever. Hot tub guy picks her up at the hospital. Yes. But oh my like, god. This oh, guy. He's on the street. But he's being Maybe like a good Samaritan. I, no. And he's yeah. like he's the. <laughs> I, I thought that this was. Uh, I mean, he's a the, good Samaritan until he takes her home and they spend the day drinking wine and eating this, grapes. And but then he says like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Totally. We're going too fast here." Like this guy's saving it for marriage. He he, he wants to. Uh, <laughs> That yeah, is, he wants to like make out a little, but it's like, no, 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 no. Maybe not that, tonight. Like that we is can the talk about this, right? Like yeah. that is really what's going on. <laughs> uh, I mean, this book and film start off in like Utah or so, and and this guy seems Mormon to me. Uh, that <laughs> like, yeah, you know, uh, and there is a passage I loved uh, where uh, she compares when she arrives in Los, Los Angeles, like, oh, this is very different from Utah. Like, uh, I think the, the phrase was uh, erotica was everywhere, which is not how I describe the book. But, you know, she observed it. I think that that guy who takes her home from the hospital in the movie is basically a horn dog. Now, stick with me. So, first of all, what a power move. And what a what a pickup tactic to see a woman in medical need be taken into a hospital and just go up to the counter and be like, uh, her medical bill is on me. Yeah. And then he, Put it on my credit card. Yeah. He is there to greet her, but he does sort of leave it up to her to be like, he's not like, I paid your bills. Come home with me. He's just there. And he's like, hopefully this will go in my favor. And it does. Now... When they go home in the movie, because the movie is an hour 50 or whatever, we cut basically straight to the hot tub scene, and his protests about sleeping with her are because she's doing startlingly aggressive things, like just (laughs) ripping his swimsuit off, which I think would freak most people out, and saying, eventually saying things like, I need a baby right now, or whatever. Um, I think in the movie, he's basically his motivation is sex and she's just just she's even too sexed up for him in the book she has this passage where she thinks this guy has had me hanging at his apartment all day we've had <laughs> meals we've had conversations we like he, she, he is they're on like a 12 hour date and she she's going why won't he bed me um which is an interesting choice i think on yvonne's part i don't think the yeah. movie bears that out well, the fact that he's wearing a swimsuit at all, though, tells me that he's showing restraint. He's not being Kyle McLaughlin in Showgirls, like just <clears throat> ambling into the pool naked. Uh, yeah, I, I think that there's a, a a charming innocence to him. And I think that he saves her from the hospital because he, you know, he's, he's trying to do the right thing. And uh, he's I having mean, fantasies about introducing her to his parents someday. <laughs> in the book, she she like learns how to pick a guy better. And I think this middle guy is like a... She's learning the right things. He seems nice. He's taking it slow. He's not forcing her. Sure. Something. So I watched the movie with my mother. And the moment this guy's like, let's take a picture together. My mom went, that guy's a creep. That guy's awful. <laughs> like, he does have a Polaroid camera. Yeah. In the movie that feels a little bit more sinister, even though he's like not actively trying to fuck her the entire time. I do agree. Like 
the amount of time they spend together in the book. He seems like a nice guy. I didn't want him to get his guts ripped out by her tongue. That seemed a little extreme to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, she is sort of startlingly like aggressive in a way that the book makes very clear men don't like. You got to be a little more coy. Yeah. And then it works on Alfred Molina because he likes that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. She finds a guy who like likes to be pushed I mean, around. Bl- bless Alfred Molina, who essentially <laughs> is like, this never happens to me. Like, yeah. the man's head is not on a swivel, neither in book nor movie. Like, they're literally been spending the whole time being like, now look out for a seductress. And then she like jumps his bones. And he's like, this is great. I love it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, she did dye her hair. That's true. And so, she, that did, very true. she looked died, so different. Allegedly. With she her dyed hair her hair dark. and she died. So, I still would maybe leave Los Angeles before trying to jump somebody's bones, like, personally. They're, like, hanging out. It seems like they're all just like, all right, I guess we live here now. I really like this group of four people. Like, yeah. uh, I like them as friends. I like that they hang out together. I think it's I love- nice. I wish there was more of it. They seem like nice I love when they're buddies. getting Force Whitaker drunk on Long Island iced teas. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about my boy, Dan. <laughs> A yeah. very important character to me. A an empath who is like both psychic and maybe like telekinetic. Like he can like uh, uh, uh. what? Well, at the end, he says, I'm an empath, not a psychic. There's a but difference. He's and I was like, psychic. since when? You're doing psychic <laughs> shit this whole movie. You you're like, you know, someone knocks on the door, he says, That's someone for me from the government. They're here to you know, they want me to hunt an alien. It's like, how do you know? It's like, I'm an empath. Yep. Shrug. Yeah. Uh, he he's something out of if anyone's ever seen the Rose Red miniseries of Stephen King, where there's just a bunch of psychics and empaths walk around a haunted house and they just always know he's exposition man essentially he just makes the movie easier because if there was not an empath they would have no success in even finding her at all i wish they just called him a psychic yeah like it's the same level of people being like that's not a thing what are you talking about what does that mean um but it's not i don't know empath is such a like a weird thing that pops up in media like when they introduce him and they explain what he does, I'm like, oh, so this is Will Graham. Like, we're trying to take the Hannibal thing and do something right. a little different with it. Um, and then he's just a straight up psychic. And I, I didn't need this, like, pretension at real science with him. But I do love how goofy he is. He's, he's yeah. just, like, kind of excited to be on an adventure. And He's a yeah, sweetie pie. It's nice to have sort of a soft boy version of Forrest Whitaker, who <laughs> is such an imposing figure. That when he sort of seems like the meekest of this team on a team that has Alfred Molina, it is it's nice. Pretty much every review of species or every discussion about species that I could find online involves people mocking the line where uh, Dan walks into the train car where a horrific alien cocoon hatched and a murder occurred and there's blood all over the walls and he goes, something bad happened here. <laughs> he, well, he's such an empath. <laughs> but in his defense, <clears throat> he is so empathic. That must be a very bad room for him to be in. All he can think about is how bad the badness was. Yeah, he's pretty bad at his job, considering like they're in a bar with Sill at the end, and like it, you know, alarm bells aren't going off in his head right away. Like it, he has to wait until you know 
she's already gone to third base with Alfred Molina like three floors above <laughs> uh, before it's like, hey, wait a minute. But, you know, I don't know. That's implying that Syl has any sense of foreplay. Uh, <laughs> I think he doesn't censor because he's drunk. Oh, mm. oh yeah. Long Island Ice Tea. Yeah. Drunkenness sort of blurs the lines. And then when he leaves that gathering, he says, I don't feel well. So maybe as he's sobering up, it's not so much a hangover, it's his empath abilities returning. That's a really generous reading, Andrew, and I'm going to go with that. I, yeah, I, I like love that. that. I, lo- I love how much faith you have in species. I like Dan. I like that the rest of the crew is like, this is a nice person we should protect and take care of. Um, I like the I like the interrelationships of all of them. Like, I think these are pretty... I know that, Andrew, in your intro, you said that in the movie they're particularly thin. Yeah, but they're very charming. And mm-hmm. in the movie, you really get a sense of like, well... Each of the, if you took the four of them and did like a two by two grid or whatever, they all have an individual relationship that's drawn out uh, a little bit, at least, which I really like and made me care about them more than I would have. Like when Alpha Molina gets murdered, I was like very upset. I really wanted him to make mm-hmm. it. He's the sweetest one. <laughs> he's, a, he's a patootie. He's so stinking cute. Mm-hmm. Also in my intro, I talked about how Dan seemed like a superhero, which I stand by. And- Marco's question has me wondering, has there ever been a superhero whose kryptonite is like a substance that ruins people's lives? <laughs> has there ever been someone who's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a superhero, but I can't touch alcohol or I can't have cocaine. <laughs> um, speaking of Sill's, what's like added for Sill in the book, I think an interesting thing that Navarro does is decides that the things Syl reads on people, like that they're diabetic, are things that are literally wafting off their bodies, vis- like visually. Like she can see, yeah. oh, there's a pink steam coming off this guy. He's a diabetic. I have to get away. And she has that for hunger, too. So when she does her first murder, when she's still a child and she's on the first train car, and uh, uh, someone living on the train car basically tries to assault her and she she kills him. Um, all the food he has has this really pungent, interesting color coming off of it. And there's a funny moment where he has like a bottle of Mad Dog 2020 or whatever. And she looks at it and it has no nutritional value at all. And she just goes, yeah, I don't see anything coming off that. I'm going to leave that. <laughs> yeah, I think that the whole diabetic thing uh, reads so much better in the book than it plays in the movie where they really have to like explain it away. Uh, I like the whole like, oh, there was a, a greenish mist coming off of him that was si- signaling bad news. Like, oh, okay, that that's, you know, a, a little something extra. I also wasn't clear watching the movie that she was actually horny. Does this make sense? She wants to have sex. I get that. Yes. But, but that she has human horniness or whatever. Yes, because in the hot tub scene, she's going like, take your pants off, I want to have a baby, and it feels very goal-oriented. But right. in the book, I think just there's this one particular passage on 97 where she's watching TV, and it says, uh, on the screen, men and women always seem to be doing a dance around each other, sometimes blatant, sometimes so subtle it could barely be discerned, a sort of silent mating call that left Syl breathless and filled with yearning as she watched. Uh, on the channel, the words five minutes, triple X, free preview flashed across the screen and eventually went away as entranced, Sill spent a quarter hour observing 
a man and woman strip completely, then copulate in full view of the camera. The sight filled Syl with strange, hot desperation. She needed to be a part of that world, no matter what, to possess a man in the same way, to mate. From union, she knew intuitively, would come reproduction. So she's talking about her goal there, but she's also humanly turned on, which is, which is a choice. Yeah, I would have loved to have some of that in the movie. Where, like, she kind of can't control herself. Like, she needs right. it real right. bad. Yeah. Because she is part human, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh, they really yeah. hammer that home in the sequel. They, they won't stop talking about <laughs> She's half human. She's just like us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it also leads to the uh, scene where the uh, hotel clerk says, like, oh, ma'am, you didn't leave a credit card and you have pay-per-view on your, uh, on your bill that you have to settle. And that, that's a whole conflict that I, I thought that that could only be resolved with that guy's, like, head getting ripped off, but. Yeah, it's kind of a miracle that, like, horny motel guy doesn't also get murdered for being a creep on her. The motel guy in the film is not a creep. No, he seems fine. He yeah. seems nice. She goes, I want, I, I need a man, and he he has the energy of, uh, it doesn't affect me at all that a beautiful woman is saying, I need a man to me. He's like, well, down the street yeah. would be great, you know? <laughs> He's got real buddy energy. And then in the book, this it's like, does not he read was signals. such a creep. Yeah. And he like steals her underwear. So, in the oh, book, yeah. Which is gross. I mean, back to minor detail changes. When she goes to the club in the movie and realizes that she's not dressed sexy enough and takes off her shirt, she's just wearing like a normal bra. Right. And the book is very clear that she has like a bustier that could be read as a shirt, which feels like more realistic to me. <laughs> um, just a level of like on set saying like, um, let's make her both stupider and sexier. Great. <laughs> The, let's talk about this book's theory on what a predator is. Something that <laughs> bothers me to no end. The, the thing that is said in the movie is Sill's a predator. Her eyes, she has her eyes in front. Hannah and I have already started arguing about this a little bit over text. Hannah, your opinion is that's true. I mean, I think that that's like an evolutionary truth is that most predators have their eyes in the front of their face. And what they say in the book is that it's for depth perception so that you can leap upon your prey and rip them to shreds. That seems true. I think that's true. Yes. Well, also the the prey have eyes on the sides of their heads, right? So that they can, they can keep, this is true. They can keep, uh, keep an eye out. I believe that is the idea. They see more of the world. Yes. So I don't disagree with it being true. However, <laughs> here's my problem is what, because she is a mix of alien and human DNA and like like Jesus like Jesus Christ was made in in God's image. Like how is it doesn't she just have her eyes in front because she's human and we did that? So well, how does it have any bearing on the her the book behavior? has at the end of, or in the movie too, of like, what do you think made her a predator? Was it us or was it the alien part? I think it's pretty clear it's mostly the alien part, but we clearly have something to do with it. Humans are predators. Yes, yes. we are. Okay, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Thank you, we're David. We're the worst predator of all. Yes, we are. Yeah. The, the, implication, the implication being that any alien-human hybrid would have ended up a predator, I guess. I mean, especially when left to her own devices and her own impulses. Like, I think if you left a human baby in the wild, if it survived, it's because it's doing predator shit. 
I mean, she has also special alien DNA that the aliens sent to kill us. Like, you know, this is all part of their plan. It's not like a, a nurture versus nature thing here. This isn't like, well, she could have been good. She could have just embraced the Michelle Williams side of her. But no, she she saw sex and, and just had to have it. Um, so, I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's uh, uh, this, this was inevitable, right? I think so. I, I, I know it sounds like I'm being obdurate, but the, the the thing that I'm really hung up on is it just feels like a very asinine thing to say since they sort of made her as a human to then be like, of course she's a yeah. predator. Her eyes are in front. She's a human. It's like, yes, but you made her a human. Well, we, I mean, I don't know what their genetic science nonsense was. Like maybe they didn't know what she would look like and she turned out looking mostly human. Mm-hmm. We know as viewers that when she is an alien woman, her eyes are also in the front. Right. Like her full alien form is also predatory and has nipple tentacles and True. is disgusting. Is it before the f- the first guy she goes home with that they do the stupidest thing they could possibly do and try to grow a new alien in the lab. Uh, yes, I think so. Is there a more wrong-headed idea? I mean, what's the good outcome of that? I was I was very confused by this in the movie. I think the good outcome is they create a really small version of a thing that's like Sill so they can study it and learn how to kill it. That's mm-hmm. like the goal. They choose a bat. Seems like a bad call. Choose a slug or something. Right. And then it immediately becomes a monster. Like the worst kind of gloopy, slimy monster killer thingy with wings. Why would you choose something with wings? Why would you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just, with with how pressing the scenario is, like the the sills on the run, it just, in the movie and the book, reads so wrong to me that they go, let's go do some lab experiments. So they need to figure out something else to do before she kills so that they can find her. Mm-hmm. Okay. It just goes I so wrong. I agree it's a bad idea. It goes so, <laughs> so wrong. Wait, and they the- are stupid, though. Let's just <laughs> underline this. Yeah, Nothing they all- ever do is a great idea, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, they're they're all bad at their jobs. Right. I think we might her was not the a good crew. Idea. Like, the yes. crew that Fitch puts together is a biologist, an anthropologist, an empath... And then one military guy. It should be like seven military yeah. guys. Yes. It should be mostly military guys. Yeah, but Press is the best. He's he's the best. This is like the most I've ever liked Michael Madsen. So agree, he's the best. It's kind of his golden age, I feel. It's a year after Pulp Fiction. Well, he's not in Pulp Fiction. But it's like, you know, like a couple years. You know, he'd had like Free Willy. He has uh, like Mulholland Falls and Donnie Brasco. Like he, so when, when he was like a legit guy in like sort of expensive trash right right rather than like he then moves <laughs> on to being in like bad trash no offense to michael madsen um but yeah yeah good for him he's yeah he's good i guess in this movie kind of not really he's okay i liked him fine Melina i believe is the that one mark would want to kiss him yeah me too which is a win that's a win. That's a win. Because in most Madison. movies, I'm like, get away. You are creepy or gross or too aggressive. And in this movie, I was like, yeah, kiss him. He is the kissable one. Yeah, I agree. So. I think the Press-Laura relationship is really steamy. And e- even more so, I mean, this is a movie about sex and about, about pursuing procreation. 
I think the hottest thing in this movie is an accurate depiction of when a work assignment results in romantic chemistry. <laughs> and you're kind of being like, do we have to wait till it's over? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, yeah. So I saw this movie so many times, like just in snippets out of context on cable that I couldn't remember the sequence of events. So in my memory, they were just horny throughout. Uh, but they do show a lot of restraint and like, okay, we're not going to bone until the alien is dead. And then we'll like celebrate up in our uh, hotel room. Uh, one uh, uh, weird, somewhat disturbing factoid I uh, read is that... Uh, you know, predating intimacy coordinators and whatnot, uh, that the sex scene between Helgenberger and Madsen was entirely improvised in the moment on set between the two of them. I mean, not uh. that they have sex, but like, uh, I guess, you know, Roger just said action and do whatever you want to do. And so they, they just wow. got frisky and weird, uh, which makes me wonder like, ooh, on set romance, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, good. Good for them, I guess. I mean, it's also a sex scene, like in the book, especially where before they get into like, let's talk about what it means to copulate. Like, it's pretty clear that Laura like blows him, which is rare to see in a movie or have discussed in a movie that isn't like making a joke about it. Like, she's yep. like, this is a sexy thing and we're going to do this and then we're going to fuck on the bed. And yes, it's, it's great. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like they're it's pretty so... straightforward. Right. It's not yeah. like some kind of like, whoa, what's she doing? Like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is These a very... sexually healthy people. Yeah, it's a very rare shot that you see in a mainstream film where it's like the camera is between his legs. He's standing up. She's on the floor beneath looking up. It's like, wow, they're they're really going for it. There's something about this this bond. I just I, I'm not used to just a movie about something completely different. And their attraction is growing slowly, just feels so real. And that is so sexy in a way I feel like movies rarely do. Usually movies introduce male lead, female lead, and they're like, even if it's not happening yet, we want you to know it's happening. Do you guys kind of get what I mean, or am yeah. I am I yeah. out there? No, okay. you're right. It is sexy, and it is natural, and they have the version of, like, human romance that is good and healthy, and Syl is experiencing all the bad versions of that, mm -hmm. um, mostly because she's super predatory about it. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah i mean that that dichotomy that you get of like sill like just wants to fuck and these two people like fall into affection with each other and then decide yeah we'd like to be together physically nice nice to have that sort of like side by side mm -hmm. yeah and maybe if sill had a loving partner she wouldn't get napalmed at the end you know <laughs> maybe. hard to say if the sequels, uh, you know, uh, mean anything, it's like, yeah, if, if you uh, if you find a soulmate that you can uh, uh, go off uh, on a little journey with, you, you will resist your urges to kill if you're in a loving relationship. That's nice. Although one time it's sort of her uncle and it's weird. Oh. I mean, I mean, not... <laughs> I, he, not her actual uncle. He, he He's just, you know, she doesn't know that he's not really her uncle. She grows up thinking it's her uncle. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're, if you're not my uncle, well then. And it's like, oh, no. Uh, it, it's it's Ben Cross. It's, it's it's super creepy and weird. Yeah, I don't I recommend it. I just watched an episode of Law & Order SVU about that exact thing. <laughs> it happens. And yeah, it's, it's criminal. So Syl gets to the city, takes this guy home. The guy that she puts her tongue through the back of his head. Yeah. Then she steals his car. 
I want to talk to you guys about uh, 1996's MTV's Best Kiss Award, mm-hmm. which went to Natasha Henstridge and Anthony Guadera for Species. Yeah, I, I noted this. I mean, honestly, good for them. <laughs> Actually doing a funny award you know, for that is, is kind of cute. What else was in the category? Who else All was right. nominated? Well, I mean... Go, you know, please. No, David, don't let me take, step on take this, it away. But I, I did call it up. I mean, Antonio Banderas and Salma Hayek and Desperado. I don't know what kiss that is, but they are certainly a very hot couple in that movie. Mm-hmm. Oh man, this is a weird category. <laughs> Jim Carrey and Sophie Okonedo in Ace Ventura: When Nature Calls. Winona Ryder and Dermot Mulroney in How to Make an American Quilt, and then Keanu Reeves and someone called. Aitana Sanchez Gijon in a walk in the clouds. I think species almost won by default. Like <laughs> I don't mean, to, and I don't mean to be rude. Like it's fine, but it's just like I just feel like everyone was like, "Uh, what? I don't know." I remember the tongue going through his head. I think this was in an era where the winner of MTV Movie Awards was determined by calling agents and see who was willing to come and sure. accept it. It's <laughs> like, you know, you, you know, maybe there's a vote at one point. It's like, oh, Keanu won. Keanu, would you like to come to the MTV Movie Awards? No? Uh, congratulations, Natasha. It, it's you then. But uh, like, the, these are like back, you know, seven won best film. Alicia Silverstone won Best Actress. Like, they had kind of cooler winners back then than they do now, I feel like. 95 was a hell of a year. Yeah, that's true. Hosted by Ben Stiller and Janine Garofalo. Oh, God, I remember that one. Yep. George Clooney won Best Breakthrough Performance for From Dusk Till Dawn. I see a bright future for that guy. (laughs) Yeah, that guy, they were on the money. (laughs) The the MTV Kiss thing is like it's amazing how they're viewing this in isolation because they're basically going this Kiss is wonderful we love this Kiss let's uh, let's ignore all context because it's a I mean, tongue through include... the back of the head murder scene that also involves the withdrawing of consent it's like it's it's there's a lot going on there I guess my question would be when they showed the clip did it include the tongue coming out the back of his head. Or did it include him going, okay, you've said no, it's duly noted, get over here. Okay, so what do we think about the ending where she goes full alien monster, runs into the sewers, has a baby that is also an alien monster, etc.? Is this a satisfying ending for her? Rushed, I would say. <laughs> it feels a little that rushed. Cuts to credits immediately after her head is blown off. Hey, they climb back up out of the sewers and then there's a rat that's maybe an alien species now. So don't forget. Which highly, highly lazy to just throw the rat in there with like, I don't know, what would be in a tunnel? Sure, fine. Every... Yeah, every movie at this time period, I mean, not that it's really gone away, had to be like, oh, and it's all over, or is it? Yeah, you always have to leave room for that, which, uh, hey, she shows a lot of restraint in the novel. You do, she does mention that the a rat runs off with a little tiny piece of tentacle, but yeah, I, I couldn't believe that we just end with uh, Press and Laura, like, having a little fun, romantic moment. Well, the, the rat doesn't even come back in Species 2. No! Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, There's just monsters under Los Angeles. Okay. The reason she's pregnant in the first place is Stephen Arden, and I would like to talk about Stephen Arden's relationship to sex. So he's super horny, but he can't close the deal. Well, what is going on in the book then when he gets his (laughs) little specific book introduction, and it's 
him giving like a, a presentation on mating rituals of other cultures. And they're kind of doing like an Indiana Jones type thing where there's all these young students who are super into him and, you know, whatever. It, it, it They're kind of putting this like playboy energy on Stephen Arden. And he's like making a big deal about, oh, this culture wears this thing around their waist. It's called a penis guard. And he's like winking at students, which seems very right. out of step with the... Molina performance in which he goes this never happens to me thank you so much for this experience or whatever (laughs) (laughs) well he's a nerd he's read all about it in books but he doesn't have a lot of hands-on experience and uh, yeah he can probably make it happen with like 19 year olds but when I think the book is pretty clear about that when confronted with like a sophisticated adult woman he does not know what he's doing (laughs) yeah I liked him, though. I did like him. He's a likable character. I mean, it would have been very easy to be like, he's a horn dog and a creep. And so when he has sex with her and dies, you're like, well, that's okay. But I didn't feel that at all. And maybe it's the Molina performance. But even in the book, I was like, I like this guy fine. He's, he's fine. nice. He's, he's nice he's to Dan. He's like a... Right. He's a yeah. nice guy. Yeah. He's not going to burn anyone up or lock anyone in a lab or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Hannah, you watch, or you read the book before ever seeing the movie, right? It, uh, it did did you get a lot from the Arden character or from Dan cuz I felt like they were completely like almost absent. I mean definitely way less for sure. Um and again as I said like I couldn't figure out who Alfred Molina was because I don't think that the character as written in the book feels like an Alfred Molina type. Um feels like a much sort of more suave as you were saying like handsomer sexy guy. Not that Alfred Molina is not sexy. He's very cute, but um yeah, I mean, I do think they have a lot less. And the end of the movie really pivots on, like, these we're all friends and we're going to fight together to save each other uh, in a way that the book does not. And I do I do prefer that version of the ending where they're like, we got to save Dan. We're all in it together. Yeah, to really your nice. point about why don't they bring seven military guys, it's also <laughs> why when they're chasing Syl to kill... Are they going, let's make sure to bring the empath and the biologist, right? Well, they're just who's on the team, you know? And God bless that they were both there. They each helped save the day. Except Dan gets that moment where they go, which way did she go? And he goes, I don't know. And everyone says, you're not allowed to say that. And I, as a (laughs) reader, am going, he's not allowed to say that. He knows everything. And then very quickly, he's like, um, that way? And th- he's right. So it's all it all works out. <laughs> yeah. The ending in the book feels particularly fast. Maybe because yeah. Yvonne was not comfortable writing the kind of action that ended up in the movie. Or that hadn't been established yet. So she was like, um, they do this? He blows up? <laughs> That's probably part of it. But isn't it also just like the, the book has spent more time in Syl's head? So it feels a little like lame when she's just then right at the end she's just kind of a monster they need to dispatch i don't know yeah and she doesn't have any maternal instinct at all no which kind of felt despite wrong. her whole yeah, purpose being that yeah she's like baby will be fine i'm gonna go away i feel like there's also a part in the book where she says the baby might eat me yes while yeah. i'm recovering from giving birth so i should send it away which is horrifying it's almost suggested that their species has some form of genetic memory because maybe sill was going to go on a rampage no matter what we don't really know because fitch decided to kill her 
but maybe this was going to happen anyway. And then you're right. When she gives birth, she thinks this baby will be born with a survival instinct like mine that is itself over all else. So I need to get the heck away, uh, which sort of suggests that these creatures might be born with like something beyond human instincts, something like alien instinct that tells them that they need to to fight and conquer. Yeah, for sure. And they grow super fast, so... On balance, do we think the use of interiority in this book helps it or hinders it? Because I feel like there's a, there's certainly a ton. She's giving everyone a backstory. Helps it. I mean, I think without yeah. the sill interiority, this book is 100 pages long. Right. Like, you need it to make mm-hmm. it a book. Um and getting a little bit more of like what's going on with Syl does make her a more complex character that's totally valuable. There's a good part right where uh, where um, Baker, Laura, t- pressures Press basically into like sharing his history. Let me see if I can find that. Yeah, they're, they're dancing. She asks him about his father. Uh, he says something vague and she goes, he hunted people down too, like you. Press shook his head. No, he needed hunting down. My sister used to send me out to find him before my mother did. It saved everybody a lot of grief. Where was he all that time that you had to go after him? Press gave a careless jerk of his head that didn't fool Laura at all. Various girlfriends, uh, he was a very traditional guy. Ah, so you went from there to joining the army, she said, deciding to steer the subject away from family. It was something to do. I got into finding AWOLs before they got too deep into trouble to get out without ending up in the slammer. People, normal ones anyway, nearly always follow a pattern. For instance, if they go bowling every Thursday night, they could be halfway around the world, but come Thursday night, they go bowling. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I like stuff like this. I feel like that specific anecdote is a good way to say this is how he got mercenary skills without being some sort of villainous figure. Mm-hmm. It, it makes... You know, press a lot more uh, charming than I think. You know, as much as I like Michael Madsen, he is kind of this gruff human ashtray in the movie. Uh, you know, he was just <laughs> like, you know, I'm a killing machine. I do what I do. And yeah, the the book gives him a little depth of like, oh yeah, I can see how uh, someone would fall for him and want a little uh, like a uh, uh, you know post alien killing uh, hotel room sex. How about these insert photos? <laughs> Black and white, nice disappointed. Yeah. I don't know what you mean by nice to have them, Hannah. I, 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 this is I like, mean, it's nice that they exist. No, I this guess, is insulting. <laughs> They're not great. They leap over huge chunks of story in ways that make it hard to follow. Like, if you're reading the book and you're like, oh, is that scene pictured? This feels like a major point. Um, you, there's just huge things that were not here that I kind of wanted. Like, there's mm-hmm. nothing in the club. There's nothing with the hot tub guy. There's nothing... Like the major beats, which I would like represented in photograph, are not. Which is maybe good to keep it a mystery if you're just open to the middle of the book, but But I, I feel like yeah, right. th- I mean they're disappointing. There's only like twelve photos and the first five are from the first like minute and a half of the movie. It's like everything through her jumping out uh, you know, through the window of the her little pod. And it's like, wow, there, there's a lot more to, to cover here. I mean, I guess you can't like, you know, show boobs in your book or something i, I guess can't well, you can't well, can you not good. show dead bodies why not like, yeah can you not... i don't know that would be so transgressive if a novelization <laughs> had nudity in the inserts 
sales yeah, are through the roof. These are some wild, wild west ass photos. They look terrible. <laughs> I mean, it I really mean, looks yeah, like pretty... they were printed in black and white and then run through a copier. Cool. Yeah, yeah they're, they're not good. We agree. We agree. We agree. I think, I think this one's nice. Before we wind down, what's the gist <laughs> of this final chapter, Hannah? Because it's completely um, invented. The movie, as we said, is just like, we got her. There is a species rat. We're calling it a day. Yeah. And then the last chapter of the book, Laura and Press are on a date on a beach that he has cleared out for them to have a private, intimate moment. And they're like talking about predators and stuff. And then they smooch a bunch. Like, what are you, what are you asking me for here? Cool. I just, just, just to describe that. According- and then they... According to the insert, they uh, find they have something in common. Oh, yeah. There's a nice little smooch moment there, which I feel like is not a photo from the movie. That feels like... Or that's the deleted scene. You know, yeah, we, it feels like a deleted scene. We end on the rat, but... He's looking very casual. Uh, we also learned that uh, uh, Dan is going to go work with abused children. Is that right? Uh, but the government's always going to be watching him because he knows mm-hmm. too much about the naked alien. <laughs> I thought that that was a lucky break on Yvonne's part because it's like Dan isn't in Species 2, which she couldn't have known at the time. And she gives him this little happy ending, seems very in character. And uh, Mm -hmm. in my head, that's his happy ending for the rest of the series. Hannah Blackman. Me? Yes. You are a uh, train conductor. Who comes Thanks. across an unaccompanied minor traveling with a very small television. You fully believe that televisions are what people often refer to as the boob tube and can only lead to brain rot. So you decide that you're going to give this child a book to occupy her time. Would you, having read Species by Yvonne Navarro, recommend Species by Yvonne Navarro? To a 12-year-old child? No. (laughs) Um, I would recommend it to other adult readers, though. I mean, I think it's a pretty fun little sci-fi book, and it has more character richness than the movie, which I liked a lot. I had a good time reading it. It moved at a nice pace. Um, So I would, like, soft recommend it around the world, uh, but not to children. No, I think it's not appropriate for children. (laughs) Great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. Great. Johnny Pomato, you are just hanging around your local hospital. You see a beautiful woman in critical condition being carried in on a stretcher. And you decide, I'm going to make a bit of a bold move here. You drop your credit card at the desk. And unfortunately, now you have to wait for possibly hours until she comes out. If at all, she might die. And then you're still paying. So actually, this plan is like not that well thought out. Having read Species by Yvonne Navarro, would you reread it or recommend it to another person waiting for a stranger in the waiting room? Because they have it on the table for some reason. Uh, I will never reread it. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I am done with species on the whole. I, I've, I've had my fill. I, I would maybe watch species two again. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I think that this is a better than the movie deserves novelization. 
that you know uh, Yvonne is a uh, talented writer, uh, but you're you're still uh, reading a species novelization at the end of the day, and like you know the movie's not that good, and the book makes it only a little bit better than I think. Uh, its potential was. Uh, however, I do have to disagree with Hannah and say I would absolutely recommend this to a 12-year-old. I think they are the target audience for this book. I think that this book is almost made for the little 12-year-old kid who tries to like take this VHS up to the counter at his video store and said, "Sorry, buddy, you're you know it's rated R. You can't you know see the sticker." And then he hangs his head and then he like goes to his local library and gets the species book and tries to imagine all the sexy alien killing. That's uh, a fair argument. Yeah, but uh, I mean, you know, it, it, it's highly inappropriate, but I, I think that, he, he, you know, he'd probably get a lot out of it. Uh, yeah, th- this is uh, well-written trash, uh, and, you know, which is a little more than I can say about the movie itself. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's okay. Hannah, I'm tired. Pick up for me. Oh, okay. Uh, sure. <laughs> David Sims. Yes. Hi, Hannah. Ye- you are a, a nice anthropologist having a nice time. Okay. You get you get pulled in with a group of people to do a task, and you're like, I'm making friends. I like hanging out with them. This is going so good. The only thing that could top off this weekend is if I, I don't know, had sex with a mysterious lady. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, here comes a mysterious lady. And before she jumps your bones, she says, you know, I just want to make sure that you're an intellectual and that you think things. Would you recommend a book to me? In this situation, would you recommend the novelization of Species by Yvonne Navarro? Well, first, I would. A- I have to ask one question. What color is this woman's hair? Brown. Oh, yeah, sure. She can read the book. Yeah, <laughs> she reads Species. <laughs> I've got it in my room if you want to come, come over. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, yeah, why not? Why not? As long, as long as she doesn't have blonde hair. If she has blonde hair, it might give her some bad ideas. Sure. Yeah. Makes um, sense. I like. Yes. I think I'm. I'm with everyone on this. It's this movie is uh, trashy. The book is less trashy, which is better, empirically better, but maybe also a little less fun at the end of the day. Okay. Great. Andrew Marco, did did you read the book? No, but I saw the movie. Andrew Marco, you you are uh, you work at a place that's sending a message about humanity into space, and you have the opportunity to include in that message an entire video file of the film <laughs> Species from 1995. Would you send Species, directed by Roger Donaldson, into space from a script by Dennis Feldman? Probably not, because I think it gives some bad ideas to any alien life that might come upon it but you know i Uh might and it is streaming on amazon prime right now i might say to a friend who likes sci-fi or 90s movies or horror like hey yeah check it out it's actually more middle of the road than i thought it would be and you might have a fun time with it (laughs) and i'd read after seeing the movie i was like i wish i had read the book this time around because i i thought there could be some fun interiority and extra scenes as it seems there was because it's an interesting mm-hmm. enough collection of people and universe to explore. Andrew Overby. Hello. You are Michael Madsen. Great. Best possible trying, scenario. <laughs> trying to figure out how you're going to make your career continue in an upward trajectory. <laughs> Great. 
And you've made some pretty good choices, but you really want something that's going to make you pop. You want to be the lead and you want to be a sexy hero guy. Mm -hmm. And your agent says to you, hey, I got this novelization for a movie that has not been made yet. So it may really change by the time you get to the movie itself. But I read it and I think it's pretty good. And I want you to read it to decide if you want to be in the movie. And the book he hands you is Species by Yvonne Navarro. The timeline here is fictional, okay? Upon reading this book, would you choose to be in the movie? Well, it's like an alternate reality where instead of being a novelization, Species was based on this book, which I love. Sure, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, I mean, if I'm Madsen, I'm taking the role based on this book because this is a Preston Lennox heavy book. I mean, we see his cat wave to him. We see all sorts of Presenletics content. Um, I do think that the one downfall of this novel is that it gives so much interiority to Syl and it gives so much interiority to Press Lennox and Laura that it kind of becomes a three-character book. And every time we hear about the other characters, I kind of go, oh, yeah, there's some other guy hanging around in the background. Um, but you know what? It's... It's long enough. I don't want a version of this book that's 350 pages. So, as I often say with these, if somebody really liked the movie, I would recommend it. Or if somebody was like, I really want to watch that movie, I'd say maybe it'd be interesting to check out the book first. Because that might give you kind of an interesting perspective on it. But it falls somewhere in the middle for me. Cool. Well, (coughs) David Sims, who... You know, what's your whole deal and and where should people find your content? And uh, just how are you in general? How are you feeling? I'm just I'm just Hannah's bud. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm also uh, no, I'm also a film critic at The Atlantic. So you can read my stuff there all the time. And I'm the host of Blank Check with Griffin and David, which is a podcast about filmographies that I've been doing for frickin ever and will continue to do. Uh, for freaking ever uh, that you might enjoy. So check that out wherever you get podcasts. That's me. Thank you so much for coming on, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I assume at the end of July, you'll be doing your um, Donaldson series, right? Sure. Why not? <laughs> be fine. Do, do 13 that Days. Long. That's a good movie. That's the one you were talking about on National Treasure, right, Hannah? That's the one with Greenwood? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. He's really good. It's a good movie. And as a person who watches a lot of Kennedy movies, that's really a series it's, of good, like, performances. Yeah, it's a good Kennedy performance, definitely. Yeah. Greenwood's the standout there. He's great. To our listeners, uh, you, you might not have listened to Authorized before. This is the season premiere. So in general, we do uh, this as our format where we read a novelization and then discuss it. <clears throat> and if you look back in our feed... Uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've got one on Batman and Robin, as well as E.T. Uh, but we also cover books that are spinoffs of cinematic universes. So I think last week, directly before this one, uh, we'll have had an episode on William Kotzwinkel's book sequel to E.T., which was the book of the Green Planet. Uh, and we also, I'm just going out of my way to plug this, we also have an episode from January about the three book sequels to The Sixth Sense (laughs) called The Sixth Sense Secrets from Beyond. And I want to specifically shout it out because those books are amazing and that episode is amazing. 
So please do Here, check David, that I out. hope you don't mind that we're using you to reel people in. Well, Jeez, <laughs> reel, reel me the hell. I, I, that's why I'm here. I want to help. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's that. And it's also at this point when this episode airs, we will have been releasing like 10 minute episodes for three months. Like we really <laughs> went away for a while there. It, uh, I get it. Wish I could do that. <laughs> well, no, I'm just kidding. Would you believe, David, that when you do that, you lose a lot of listeners? Because it is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, I suppose that's the downside. <laughs> and almost like when your 10-minute episodes are about content that's bad and nobody enjoyed, people don't like listening to those? Who knew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but sometimes we're supposed to do a 10-minute episode about E.T., the junior novelization. It goes for two hours. but And that was great. That's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, but maybe yeah. my call to do three Cheetah Girls episodes wasn't the best decision. Yeah, that was ever on made. you. All right, but not reading them was the best decision <laughs> I ever made. <laughs> um, coming up this season because this is the premiere. We've got uh, a lot of good stuff. Next week we're doing Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, after that, Star Trek Into Darkness, and then after that, Cowboys and Aliens, which we've already given oh, away. Sorry. Just absolutely, good. it absolutely rips. Just an amazing book. All right. We are, of course, a literature podcast. And as I always do, I'm going to close out the episode by reading a passage from one of my favorite books that I have definitely actually read. Try to see if you can figure out what this is from. <clears throat> Mr. Darcy approached Elizabeth <laughs> Bennett as she was reading an alluring tome. How are we this evening? His voice chimed. Wonderful, responded Elizabeth. I'm reading the novelization of the film Species. It mirrors directly our own crushing sexual tension. It's a whole book about wanting to fuck, but not being able to. Let's leave the fiction behind, Elizabeth, Darcy cooed, tilting her face up into a long, wished-for kiss. We've waited for this moment endlessly, she said. Let's use our given names. I love you, pride. Darcy's words were an aching longing. Oh, prejudice, she exhaled. So tweet at me. Let me know what you think that is. Good night. So in the spirit of this film and book's obsession with the delineation of what is Predator and what is Prey, I'm going to start us off with a little quiz on just that. Okay, up first. Oh, and please buzz in with your name and then give the answer Predator or Prey. So up first, the very cute Stoat. Remember our rule. Yeah, Johnny, go. I, I believe it is a carnivorous predator. It is, yes. Oh, Eyes right. in front, as species <laughs> tells us again and again and again. The yes. stoat is a predator. Up next, the kiwi bird. <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> Hannah, would you like to describe this graphic for the listener? Um, it's a kiwi bird, but it's cut into slices. And on the inside is a kiwi fruit.
Yes, exactly. And uh, what is your answer, Hannah? Uh, prey. Prey. That's a not only, bird. not only is that prey, it is the prey of the stoat. Oh. <laughs> because in 1879, there was this rabbit issue in New Zealand. They were destroying sheep pastures, and so three types of stoat were introduced from Britain. And not only did they get rid of the rabbit problem, they started savaging the national bird. So, R.I.P. to the kiwi. Looks juicy and delicious. Up next, this guy. (laughs) The Pale Man from, is it Labyrinth? Labyrinth. Pan's Pan's Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth. I I always mix them up. The Pale Man from Pan's Labyrinth. Predator or prey? Johnny. Johnny. Uh, A a perfectly docile creature as long as you don't eat his grapes, uh, and then he becomes quite the predator. So what's your answer? (laughs) Uh, Predator. Predator. This guy, unfortunately, is prey, and here's why. Oh, okay. You gotta have your eyes in front, and if this (laughs) man has Uh, to do any task, he is susceptible to attack. And the argument could be made also that him going up against a child, as he does in the film, is the only situation in which he would come out on top. True, true. I kind of forgot the theme that we were on, this whole eye <laughs> thing. Okay, I'm going to keep yes. this in mind for the future. As the book tells us over and over again, your eyes must be in front. Up okay, up the last line. Up next, everyone's favorite fictional character, <laughs> Jerry Lambert. This is true lies, Bill Paxton? I this shan't is Predator say. Two. Yeah, Predator oh, oh, Two. Oh, Predator Two. Of course, of course. Well, he must. Andrew. Yes. Hi. Uh, he must be prey because he's prey to the predator. This guy is prey <laughs> to the predator. Great work. <laughs> All right. Up next. These people. Who are they? And uh, are they predator David. or prey? <laughs> D- David Sims. I, oh, they, well, they're the family that preys. So, uh-huh. So they are predators thus, right? They are, they are preying they are on the, things. They are the cast of the 2008 uh, dramedy, mm-hmm. The Family That Preys, uh, and they are predators. As a result, <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Exactly. By implication. <laughs> Up next, this character that everyone remembers. <laughs> Who is he? And uh, is he predator or prey? Oh, Hannah. Uh, Hannah Blackman. He's bad guy from Birds of Prey, Ewan McGregor. Uh-huh. Name unimportant because hot. Right. And he... Black mask, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pay attention to that, David, and you should you should be aware of that. I didn't I didn't really pay a lot of attention. <laughs> Wait, this this character that never has like a superhero costume on is named Black Mask. He wears he put, a black he mask. He puts on a black mask like one time. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, mostly yes, he's just course. hot in robes and various colored suits. And he is a predator? Here's the thing about this character. You can have it both ways. (laughs) Okay. Okay. He is killed by the birds of prey, which makes him prey. But he does make that one lady dance on the table. So he is a predator. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. He's a bad man. I'll take my point. Thank you. Up next, who is this? And are they predator or prey? (laughs) 
Is this a real person or is this yes, a fictional character? Yes, this is a real person. And I just couldn't use the photo of them that everyone knows because it would be immediately obvious. Uh, he's the congressman. Right? Oh, wait. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not confident enough to buzz in. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 starts with a C. Um, right? Am I on the... <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, oh, no. I was thinking of someone else. Um uh, for the listener, this is a very congressman-looking man, but yeah, he I mean, is just some white guy, so that's understandable. Oh, okay. Uh, here's the thing. This is To Catch a Predator host Chris Hansen. Oh, of course. <laughs> and as someone who spent his career catching predators, he is, of course, an apex predator. <laughs> okay, up next, Species Own, Sill. Hannah. Is she predator or prey? <laughs> Hannah Blackman, go ahead. She's a predator. Eyes in front, baby. Here's the thing, Hannah. <laughs> oh my god. Sill <laughs> Sil from Species is prey. She didn't ask to be alive. She was put in an impossible situation. What would you have done in your shoes? Maybe not killed like four dudes. I would, I would I would direct you towards the last bullet point, which is get off your high horse, please. <laughs> She is innocent. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, wow. and finally, you got every uh, color in the thing. <laughs> yeah, I really got the whole palette. And finally, is this golden toad predator or prey? Oh, he's babies. Yeah, Marco, what's up? I think it's a predator. This Aren't is they really poisonous. Prey. It's actually. Critically endangered, and we really shouldn't have been joking <laughs> but at its all. But eyes are in front. And please donate to uh, <laughs> to help the golden toad. That is, after all, why we're here. <laughs>